Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for the ages and generations but now revealed to the saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. These words are God's words. All right, our little ones, you guys are dismissed for junior church. If you're not already head, if you haven't already head out. One other brief announcement I wanted to make sure we made this morning is that we are blessed today to have Jess Lampson back with us for uh, a couple weeks, right? Months, okay, months this time. Jess just came back from Czech Republic. And uh, so, and it, it seems like she had quite the trip. You can be praying for her, even just for, I saw you talking about reverse culture shock. Uh, things are probably a little different uh, coming back here to Maine. She said one of the things that she ran into is everybody's too nice, right? Um, so, so there's just all sorts of things that are going on there. But uh, Jess, we're going to have you share sometime about where you're headed next, right? Good. Okay. So I won't make you do it at this moment. But pray for Jess because she's home for a little while. Uh, I know she's also raising support, and the next call is down to Atlanta. This is just so great because she was the quietest kid in the youth ministry, and you couldn't get her to speak to anybody uh, in public. And here she is now, moved by God's uh, power and spirit, just really around the world as a great missionary. And we love you. We're proud of you. So uh, it's good to see you. So I know that there's other uh, friends of ours that are here and um, some visitors that we're excited to get the chance to reconnect with. And so I hope that you will take time together today. Right afterwards, we, we, ha- we take time to have some coffee and some other things to eat downstairs. I, I hope and pray that you'll feel at home enough to uh, connect yourself with some others this morning. And uh, I, I saw Jillian back there, Jillian Reynolds. See, she's like, What? Uh, Jillian just moved up here from Philadelphia on Friday. And uh, so we want to be just praying for her because there's some culture shock coming to Maine from from Philadelphia as well. But uh, again, just need to see what God's doing around here. And um, uh, so again, make sure you introduce yourself to her and make sure she feels really welcome as well. Okay. So let's take a look at God's word, Colossians chapter 1. And what I want to do is just uh, pray for us briefly here because you know you put a lot of work together to pull a sermon together you put a lot of work into this you put a lot of prayer into this but i realize that this word itself is something that the holy spirit needs to help us with so it's not just that i can convince you it's something that the spirit of god lovingly applies to our hearts and we're thankful for that so so let's ask him to do that for us today right Father, we need your help because um, we're talking about suffering today. And suffering is not our favorite topic. 
Father, we need your help today because some of us who are suffering will really feel like uh, really there's, there's little to no hope for us. Um, and, and we're going to struggle with, with that whole concept. And yet, Lord, we also realize that um, you are at work. You're here. You're helping us. So we're asking you, God, help us not just to understand that. Help us not just to see it on paper in black and white. But instead, Lord, for those that are suffering, I want to ask that you would just be with them. Comfort them. Strengthen them. For those of us that are thinking about what it might cost to bring the gospel to others, Lord, help us to realize that the, the rewards far outweigh the risks. So please work. Because God, that's a supernatural thing. No matter what somebody tells us, only you can actually bring that into our lives. So we're trusting you to do that for us together today. To make this sense of suffering joyful. Help us with that. Do that to us. In your name we pray. Amen. So again, my name is Mark. I'm one of the elders here at Wyndham Baptist Church. Again, I know we have some visitors, so I've had the privilege of being here for 15 years, and uh, really grateful for that. Scott is one of our other elders. You saw him lead music together today. He's been an elder here for longer than the building's staying. No, uh, 30, 35 years, uh, somewhere in there, 20, 30, we forgot, okay? Uh, so again, we are, we're, we're a church where... Um, work together. We have Don's back there. He's one of our others. So again, I, I, I mention it that way because it's really not just that I'm the pastor. It's that I'm, I'm part of a team and that's really important for us. And that's why we try to introduce ourselves. One of the things that we've been doing is walking through a series and we're calling it the elements of authentic Christianity. Hopefully when you look at these, you get a little sense of the periodic table because these are those basic elements upon which everything else exists, the building blocks for who we are. So really, life at Wyndham Baptist Church is pretty simple. It's Jesus, it's community, and it's mission. That's who we are. It's nothing else. So um, let, let's ask this first question, because this has been our series. Like I said, we've been walking through this uh, now this is our sixth week. We're going to go through three more weeks. Jesus Community Mission, Jesus Community Mission. And you can guess the rhythm for, for the, uh, the future of this. But, but what, is that, what does that mean? What does Jesus mean for us here at Wyndham Baptist Church? Well, let me say this. Jesus means that we have acceptance before an all-holy God on the terms of grace. And how did we get in on that? Well, we received Jesus with just these empty hands of faith. And how do we grow? This was the first week we talked about this. How do we keep growing on that? Well, we keep receiving Him. Remember Colossians 2, verse 6? This ties back to where we're going to be today. But what was Paul's calling to the Colossians? He said, hey, the way, the way that you started out with Christ Jesus, keep walking in Him. So we grow the same way that we started. We start with justification by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from all of our works, and God never changes those ground rules. Amen? Because for some of us, what happens is we begin to think, wow, there's some other part that I'm supposed to do now. But that's who Jesus is for us. 
And then community, the second element that we're talking about. Community. What is community? Why community? Community is not just the icing on the cake. Community is is critically important for us. Why? Because Jesus isn't out to just save individuals. He's creating a new community, isn't He? It's called the church. The Bible says that Christ loved the church and He gave Himself up for her in Ephesians 5. There's the cross, right? So again, Jesus comes first. As we look at these periodic elements, as we look at these these foundational elements, we're going to say it's always Jesus first. Jesus comes first. Here you see, boy, Jesus died for the community called the church. It's sacred. The church is blood-bought. In a sense, we take our hands off it, right? I mean, I, I understand. We hear people say, We hear people say that they like Jesus, but they hate the church. And part of us understands that. But what what also goes through my head is, imagine if you walked up to a groom at his wedding, and you said to him, you know what, I think you're awesome, but your bride, she's ugly. What kind of response would you expect? What kind of response would you expect We revere the bride of Christ. We have to be careful not to beat up on the church because it is the bride of Christ. And Jesus said that that is his lovely bride. And honestly, you and I are part of that. We understand our brokenness. We understand our sinfulness. And yet we also understand that Jesus said, man, I love you. And you know what that frees us up to do then? As a church community... That frees us up to open up that love to other people. Not because they've got their acts together well enough to be part of our church, right? But because we're so familiar with, with, with the grace that we've received from Jesus, we can open that door to others. So it's Jesus and his community. And finally, today we're going to talk about mission again. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. In John chapter 20, verse 21. He didn't say this. He didn't say this. He said, the Father sent me and you'll be involved too. In some, you know, slightly lesser way. He said, in effect, I am sending you the same way that the Father sent me. With the same passion, the same power, the same humility, the same sacrifice, the same beauty. And as Jesus was in this world just 2,000 years ago, so we are in our world today on mission. The Bible says that we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making His appeal through us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. What we're involved here isn't just our nice idea. It's sacred. It's authoritative. We don't apologize for being missionaries to our community, do we? We only apologize for not being more Christ-like missionaries to our community. The mission started in heaven. It came down in Jesus, and He works through us today. That's how simple it really is. We, We used this quote last week, right? Without Him, we can't. It's kind of a summary of Spurgeon. Without Him, we can't. Without us, He won't. But with us, He will. 
Do you believe that? Do we understand that kind of love that moves us out? That's what we're talking about today. Mission is our focus today. And what we want to look at here is in Colossians, uh, um, in, in chapter 1, and we're looking at verse 24. So take your Bibles, let's turn there. And what I want to do is I want to ask a question, because um, as David read this, I hope you noticed something in verse 24. Here's Paul, he's writing to the church, and he says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. First of all, anyone catch up on that one? How many of you rejoice in suffering? Is there any part of that that seems a little strange? All right. You're allowed to be awake. Just, just letting you know, okay? But then there's even something that's more. If you're, if, you're, if, you're, if you're thinking through the theology of this passage, you might sit there and go, okay, there is some way Paul's Superman, and I'm not, so he could rejoice in his sufferings for their sake. I might not be able to, but, but he's probably not lying. Let me, let me go with him on this. But then he says this, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body oh did you just hear community in there his church for the sake of the church i am filling up something that is lacking in christ's afflictions now that should cause us a little stop right why when i ask questions like this you're allowed to you're allowed to actually answer so so why tim yeah, we don't think of Christ lacking anything. If, if we look at that and Christ is lacking something, what does that mean? Maybe, maybe Jesus isn't perfect. What else could it mean? Yeah, his blood wasn't enough. Maybe, maybe it's not just that Jesus is enough, but maybe, maybe what was done for me isn't enough. Maybe Jesus paid for most of it, but I had to pick up the tip. You know, maybe, maybe Jesus took care of most. Do you, do you see why this is a really important question? We've got to answer this question, don't we? What's lacking? What's missing? What is it that Paul was authoritatively under the control of the Holy Spirit saying that he was, that he was filling up? We've got, to, we've got to wrestle through that together today. So that's the key question that we're going to wrestle with. And then we're going to see, how does that apply then? What kind of insights does that give us when it comes to this sense of mission? So that's where we're going to be today. And um, I want to take a look first at that, uh, that part. And um, let me see if that gets me right. I want to put out kind of really three insights as we walk through the passage together today. And the first one I want to work on, but I'm not going to put it up there quite yet. We're going to look at this phrase. We're going to ask the question, what does Paul mean by lacking? It's a strange thing to say, isn't it? Is he saying that the work of Christ and the cross wasn't finished? That somehow Paul does what Paul does something that actually completes something that Jesus needs? Maybe we could ask it this way in John 19, verse 30. When Jesus is hanging on the cross, what does he say? He says, It's finished. Was there something not finished? I've got to answer this question. Well, let's take a look at it. 
Let me just try and get us the flow of the passage. So drop your eyes down to verse 29. I think if we go backwards through the text, it'll help clarify this. My goal is simply to outline the flow of argument as we go through this. So in verse 29, Paul says this, For this I toil. So we're finding out there's something that he's working really hard for. And he's struggling with all of his energy, all of his might. And also I want you to notice this. It's the might that he powerfully works within me. Who's the he? Okay, Christ. Christ is working in Paul's life. So Paul's looking at this going, man, with every ounce of my being, I am working at this. Paul is pouring his energy into something. Let's ask, well, what is he pouring his energy into? Verse 28. Him we proclaim, that's Christ, right? Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What is he working so hard for? He's working so hard that all that he meets would be presented mature, complete, grown up in Christ. How does he do it in that verse? Well, notice that he's warning people. He's teaching people. So through the power of the Holy Spirit, he's warning, he's teaching. Why? Because he wants all those that he meets to grow up and become mature in Christ. That's what he's working so hard for. Verses 26 and 27 are a little interesting for us because he says, the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations, but now has been revealed to the saints. Mystery. What kind of mystery? Is this like mystery as in, boy, clouds and fog and no one can ever see through it and there's just something kind of, ooh, mysterious, you know, mysterious in this? Is, is that what he's talking about? No. He's talking about something that God has laid out, but you and I weren't smart enough to put together on our own. And then God finally said, here, let me show you. I'll tell you something. And all of a sudden we look up and go, oh, hindsight's twenty twenty. I totally see that now, but I didn't see it before. What's the mystery? Well, the mystery here, he says, is in verse 27. That to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. To summarize that, what he's saying is, I want you guys didn't realize how incredibly gracious God was. The Messiah didn't just come for the Jewish people. He was going to overflow his banks and spill onto Gentiles all over the place. And it was bigger and fuller and more complete than you and I could imagine. That's the mystery. It was all through the Old Testament, but we just, you know... We, we didn't necessarily see that. And all of a sudden he's saying, wow, it's bigger, it's broader. It means that there's hope for so many that live in this community. That Jesus came for, for people from every nation, tribe, and tongue. That's the mystery. Then we see in verse 25, he says, Hey, of which I became a minister according to stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. He's saying, this is what I'm called to then. I am called to help as many people, especially Gentiles, understand the grace of God flowing into their lives through Jesus, through Messiah. He says, I'm pouring all of my energy, all of my effort into this. 
And Jesus is empowering me to do this. That's what gets us back then to verses 20, to verse 24. He says, because that's my calling, you know what? I rejoice in my suffering. I rejoice in my suffering. Why? For your sake, Colossians. I haven't even met some of you, but I, but I love you and I'm pouring out my life. I want you to know this. And I'm this ambassador who's filling up what's lacking. Now, we're not going to take uh, a long look at this. So the question, though, is going to be, okay, how does that very first phrase there, verse 24, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, is that completely different than the second part where he says, no, in my flesh I'm filling up what's lacking in Christ's afflictions? No, they're parallel. They're restating the same things. So here's the answer. Here's the answer. What, what Paul is saying here is, okay, what's incomplete? Is it Jesus' power? Is it Jesus' perfection? Is it Jesus' ability to save? No. That's good news. That's really good news for us. What's lacking, what's incomplete, is actually their presentation. It's the visibility of Jesus in the eyes of that community of their friends. There's a a parallel in Philippians which shows the same pattern, okay? And and what it's saying is, hey, this all happened, but, but you need to know this. And your neighbors need to know this. When he says he's filling that up, it's not lacking um, Jesus' power. It's the fact that people don't know about the cross. And even if they do know, there's so many of our friends, our neighbors, who don't care. Paul says, through my suffering, I'm, kind of, I'm bringing the rest of that message. I'm personalizing the message of the cross. And we're going to have to wrestle with that a little bit. What does that mean? Because again, many people don't know what Jesus was doing for sinners on the cross. And many in our community who have some vague concept of the cross, they don't care And they don't think we care. That's not the stereotype of Christians, is it? Should it be? Yeah. Very much it should be. But they don't think we care. They don't think we mean this. Their understanding of the cross is really vague. And it's really small. And they've seen so much really empty Christianity, so much hypocrisy, so much selfishness. Okay, well, that's where we come in. Right? That's where we come in. Especially as suffering people among other suffering people. So that the message of the cross can start getting just traction in people's lives. When you suffer... When I suffer, both as a broken person in a broken world and when I suffer as a Christian, as a witness for Christ. I'm going to kind of break this into two categories as we talk through this. I think, I think Paul's specifically pointing towards the second category there. This idea of my sharing Jesus with you is going to cost me. 
But I think there's a second aspect of this, that you're suffering today. Whatever it is that you're going through today, whatever pain you feel, that is not meaningless. Instead, it plays an important role. So that's why I want to say, when we suffer that way, I just want to tell us that you actually are being given a gift by Jesus. Jesus is giving you the privilege of reenacting the greatest love that has ever been known. The only love that has any real hope in it. He has put you in among people who know you so that they can see the cross of Christ and believe and be saved. So the first insight that I want to help us to get is this. The price that we pay to get the gospel to another reenacts the greatest love that's ever been known. The price that you and I pay in order to bring the gospel to the Czech Republic the money that goes towards that the time the energy the relearning the all, all of those parts what's happening through that is through just people are understanding the gospel because they're not just hearing something about it they're actually experiencing it in just just life she's reenacting she's showing what the gospel looks like when Doug and the band are on the road, the sacrifices that they and their families go through to be able to carry out this calling, okay, it's a way of showing the sacrifice of Christ. It, it, it enlivens it. It fills up what they don't understand. They're going to them. But not just those that are identified as ministers doing this. What it costs you to talk to your neighbor, the fear. Let's be honest, right? There's fear in us. What if this doesn't go well? What if this costs me? What if my neighbor won't speak to me? What if we end up in this turf war? What if I speak to a coworker and I get fired for it? There's some real tension for that, isn't there? The price that we pay to get the gospel to another, it reenacts the cross of Christ. It takes it just from the theoretical and it actually displays it. It parables it. It shows it. Notice he's not saying that he's going to take the suffering away. Is suffering a sign of God's disapproval? If you suffer for sharing Christ with someone else, is that Jesus saying, oh, you shouldn't have done that? Because what I really want for you is happiness. What I really want is for you to be comfortable. I want you to live like, you know, in Maine on a lake, in vacation land, where life is the way it should be. How many of us want to sign up for that part of life? All of us. How many of us want to sign up for this idea that Paul is saying, listen, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. It's a harder one to sign up for. Are we called to it? 
Well, here's a second insight then. If we look at this, let's just take the second insight. Whenever the gospel moves into a new person's life, it costs someone something. Now, I know that seems super profound. Yeah. But think about it for a second. Will the gospel move into someone else's life without cost? As a kid, I can remember thinking one time I had this great evangelistic strategy. We were at that point living down in New Jersey and you saw a lot of hot air balloons. And I remember reading something called the Gospel Blimp. You remember that little, uh, I, I'm sure I didn't read it as a book. I read it as a, a Christian comic book. Okay, And uh, I thought, oh yeah, that's what we'll do. I'm just going to write out like a little salvation thing on there. And then, since there's all these hot air balloons out there, we're going to get up and balloon and just throw these things at people. What was I really hoping for? Honestly, I was hoping for a non-suffering Christianity. I wanted a way to be able to do something I enjoyed and be able to spread the gospel without it having to hurt or cost me anything. That's what I wanted. I can tell you that because I know me. <laughs> I know what I was looking for. Don't give me too much credit. I promise you. Missional living requires suffering. Ray Ortland said this. I saw this great quote. Suffering is the price love is willing to pay so that others may live in Christ. Suffering is the price love is willing to pay so that others may live in Christ. He did that for us. And He's calling us to follow Him. And then He said this, there is no Christianity without suffering. There's no Christianity without suffering. I wish we came on the encouraging Sunday. This is encouraging. This is good stuff. This is what we need to understand. Whenever the gospel moves into a new person's life, it costs something to that person. Like I said, I think there's two kind of mindsets here. And the first one is that Paul really probably had in mind the cost of sharing the gospel. What did it cost him? We think through his lists about shipwrecks and beatings, being stoned. We think through his list of what it cost him. And yet, what does he say? He says, I rejoice in those sufferings. Please just let that in the back of your mind go back to saying, wow, what was it? Was that, is, that, is this guy a masochist? Does he like suffering? Or did he find something so precious and so beautiful in Jesus that those things were inconsequential compared to the hope and to the joy and to the life that he found in Christ? We're going with option two, aren't we? Let's think about in our lives. How did you become a Christian?
Most of us came into Christ through someone else's influence, didn't we? Somebody cared. Somebody prayed. Somebody took an interest. Somebody got involved in your life. Somebody invited you. Someone took a risk of being rejected when they shared the gospel with you. How did you come into Christ? If we're going to talk about Jesus and community and mission, which we rightfully need to do, what I am saying, what I'm reminding us is this, and you know it deep down inside, that living on mission costs us. It costs us time. It costs us energy. It costs our money. Living on Jesus' mission is going to affect us. And let's just be straight up about that. There's some implications to that in a minute. We'll come to those. But let's just admit that. Paul is saying, hey, there is no way to do Christianity without suffering. One of the things that we're trying to help clarify for ourselves is that we are saying, man, being and making disciples is our calling in the world. And one of the uniquenesses, one of the reasons that's important to distinguish is sometimes we look at it and we think, well, if I just bring them to church, then Mark will do that for me. So I can minimize my risk. I can minimize the chance of failure. Because I just have to bring them to the professional, and the professional will fix this. But as disciples, which of us is called to be about Jesus and community and mission? All of us. And I realize that ratchets, ratchets up the game. That makes this more dangerous. That makes the suffering come closer. Because you can't just sit there and go, well, that guy's an, an idiot. I saw something on YouTube the other day, and it was a guy uh, on a college campus preaching at a group of students. And honestly, I don't think he was doing a very great job. Those students were not engaged. They weren't listening. They were just enjoying kind of laughing at him. And he really he was, he was only communicating biblical um, morality instead of Jesus. So in one sense, I believe that he deserved the mocking that he got. But it would be easy at least to walk away and go, well, that guy's an idiot. I brought you to this thing, and don't worry about it. my pastor's an idiot, so he doesn't know what he's doing. Now you and I can still be on good terms. But it's different, isn't it? When we feel that press, when we feel the weight, of wanting to communicate? Have you ever felt powerless in that moment? Have you ever felt like, oh, I wish somebody else was saying this because they'd say this so much better than I could? Have you felt that? The foolishness of preaching? I have. I feel that way. And yet, what's the promise? We're going to get to that 
as our third insight. But Jesus isn't leaving you alone. Jesus didn't come into the world to say, okay, good, now you're started, I'm going to leave. You take care of things, I'll be back. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus enters into our suffering with us. Jesus loves, cares, and is with you. Even in that moment. You're not alone. You're not helpless. You're weak. But that's where Jesus really is strong. So Paul's primary view here is to live on mission requires a cost. I also want us to understand this, though. General suffering really does open the door for mission, doesn't it? Has anyone ever suffered in here? How, how would just you suffering open a door for mission? Because we can, we can look at it and go, okay, yeah, what I'm supposed to do is I'm supposed to go up and just, boom, launch into this you know, gospel presentation with this person over here, and then when they reject me, you know, I'm supposed to just, just put it up and put my Jesus t-shirt on and walk around and just say, hey, I'm suffering for Jesus. But how does regular suffering, suffering, you know, with our, our, our breathing, right, Patty? How, how does suffering with a new home, when you find out that the cabinets need to be replaced suddenly, how, how, does, how does suffering physically, financially, maybe with our kids, Maybe we're suffering in our marriage. How is that a place for the gospel to kind of germinate and grow? It is. It is a place because in that place of weakness, what is going to stand out? Whether you're battling with cancer, whether you're battling through uh, foreclosure, whether you're battling through uh, loving your, your child, whatever that area is, what's gonna, what, what should happen, what will happen is sort of twofold. Number one, what you love the very most is going to rise to the top. Won't it? Because pain has a way of just exegeting our hearts and showing us what's inside. What do I love the most? Suffering shows us that. What is it that I can't live without? Suffering will show you that. What do you live for? But I can also promise you this, suffering is also the thing that Jesus so often uses that when that answer is not Jesus, that God loves to take it and say, I want to work in you. This brokenness is going to lead to this gospel kind of renewal in your life. Have you ever experienced that? 
you look back at some of the hardest, most difficult days that you've walked through, and aren't those, for so many of us, the times where we really rediscovered that Jesus is all I need. We pray for the church around the world for their persecution, their suffering. And yet, in a sense, our comfort has deadened us to knowing that Jesus is all I need. And which one's better? To be able to sit back in spots of ease? To know I have Jesus, so He has to take me to heaven now. Or is it better to have that full awareness that what I need for my life, everything that I hope for, it has a name. It's Jesus. And everything less than that will fall in its place. Suffering is a tool that God uses in our lives. But He never throws it in there. He doesn't throw us into it. He doesn't leave us. It's not a torturous prison. He is a doctor who comes alongside of us. He's carefully, consistently working for your good and for mine. Do you believe that? I hope you do. I'm praying that you will. Did you notice that? Whenever the gospel moves into a new person's life, it costs someone something. Whenever the gospel moves into your life, it costs someone something. Let's just think about this for a minute before we go on to the third point, but let's just apply this for a second. If we are going to live on mission as a church... Is that going to come simply by opening the doors and saying, come in? What do you think? No, it's not real likely. It's going to cost people something. So, so when, we, when we gather in our missional communities, these smaller group gatherings throughout our region... Is a missional community going to be able to reach their community without it costing them? What would it cost them? What, what do you picture? What would it take for a missional community to try and be missionaries inside of their own community? What kind of things could it cost them? Okay, it could cost them financially. What could that look like a little bit, Kim and, and others? Right. So it's going to cost us probably financially because, say, say we just invite them over for dinner. I don't think any of us are sitting there going, wow, I'm just sitting on a whole lot of cash right now. At least that's not the sense, the general sense, right? And when, when you buy even just chicken, you sit there and go, wow, this costs a lot of money. <laughs> okay? And yet, it's going to cost us money. Jeff? Time. Tell us a little bit more about that. 
Yeah, other people's needs begin to supersede our own. So we miss some of the things, not everything, but some of the things that we enjoy, some of the things we like to do. Great point, Jeff. It's important for us to see. We're not calling people to say, hey, I want you to take a second job. I I don't want people to hear us say, you're not doing enough. What we're saying is, can we live with gospel intentionality in the things, the places that we go? Will we stop? It will cost us at times. But will we sit there and just say, oh, it's not just about my schedule. Can I invite my friend in with me to be part of this? It will cost. It'll cost a group of friends time to pray through. It'll, ta- it'll cost us time to understand the people that we live around. It'll cost us energy. Are we going to live like missionaries? Tom. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because that natural affinity, like Tom just said, man, I, I like people I know like me. I'm a little afraid of people I'm not sure if they like me. And I'm not sure what it could cost my comfort levels if you and I hang out. What if we see things differently? That could be painful. It could be costly. What if we end up in, a, in an odd conversation because you and I see things very, very differently? Great point. Emery. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Sure. Yeah. Right. Even from other believers, they might look up and say, I saw you as so and so, or I saw you at such and such a place. Thankfully, that never happened to Jesus, right? Hmm. Oh, maybe it did. <laughs> All the time. So I hear you, Ann. You're right. You're right. This, there, there's different levels that if we're going to live out this mission, it's going to cost us that. And it's going to cost some of our comfort zones. Not just financially, but it's going gonna, it's gonna, and, to... And I'm not saying that, that... I'm not saying just suck it up and get going. What I'm saying is, is uh, will, we, will we examine these? Will we pray? Will we ask people to go with us on these things? Jeff. Hmm. Right. Yeah. So we'll be taken advantage of. I mean, isn't it scary to put your heart out there for somebody? To love. So, so what's the opposite strategy of that? Lock it up. Right? Keep it safe. What happens to a heart when you lock it up and keep it safe? Does it stay nice and fresh and soft and supple? It gets cold. 
It begins to be diseased. It, it begins to grow hard. So like Jeff said, we, we can sit there and say, no, let's just stick around with a bunch of people that I know I like and people who like me generally, you know, and, and let's just kind of go with that. But it's going to be stretching for us because we're going to give our hearts to some people that we love and want to see come to know Jesus. And the reality is they're going to reject us. It's not about presentation, folks. The gospel has two effects on people, doesn't it? Let's just level with each other. The gospel has two effects. On one person, the gospel is like a refreshing drink and it brings life to them. We said, we said right, it's going to take Jesus, it's going to take safety, and it's going to take time. So I'm not saying it's going to happen right away. But the other effect of the gospel is what? To condemn, to harden, it's going, to, it's going to give, again, a reason that Jesus will stand with that person in judgment at some day and say, hey, I brought, Josh brought this message to you. And he didn't just throw it out of a helicopter or an airplane or, or, or whatever written. He suffered to bring this message to you. The gospel has that effect. It judges. It brings condemnation. What are we supposed to do? We don't know who's who. So we bring generously the gospel. We suffer. That's our calling. Whenever the gospel moves into a new person's life, it costs someone something. Let's just ask this one question. This works for mission, right? This is really clear for mission. Is this true for community? Does it ever cost a spouse something to bring their gospel to their spouse? <laughs> yes. Because what do I want to bring maybe in that moment? Man, if you've done something that hurt me, I want to bring you some shame. An extra large helping of shame. Or I want to bring you a little condemnation. Or I'd just like you to feel kind of stupid right now. And what I want to bring you is that. I want, I want to give you a nice serving of that. Why? Because then I feel better. Have I brought the gospel? Not at all. Yeah, not well. Boy, it costs something to bring the gospel to other believers. Has someone discipled you? Who's that person whose influence came into your life and, and man, it just kind of opened up the door for you and, and impacted you? Do you remember those times? Do you think that was free for them? I bet you that was costly. It cost them time. I bet it cost them energy. I bet it cost them financially, right? Isn't that what's true for us? That's what we suffer with. We struggle with that. How about for older women to disciple younger women? Any cost to that? Yeah. For the gospel to move into a person's life. It's going to cost someone. How about for, for older men to disciple younger men? How about for dads to disciple their sons? I mean, let's just, let's just see that this crosses, right? And yet what's Paul's 
calling in there. He's saying, hey, I rejoice in my sufferings. Why? Because I want you to move towards maturity. I want you to be complete. It's my goal and I strive towards that. I toil. Is there somewhere God's calling you? Is there a plot of ground, a heart, or two, or three? That Jesus is saying, I want you to pour into this. One of our temptations at that moment, I can tell you, is this. Oh, I see my, I see my, my weakness. I see my need. I see that this other person needs something. So I'm going to go get more education. I'm going to leave them. They'll be okay for a couple more years. And I'm going to go become better at what I do. Training's not bad. But is Jesus enough to take care of you? Even when you think, I'm not sure I've got this all down. Yes, why? My third point, third final point here. What does he say there at the end of 29? He says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. Jesus comes to his friends who suffer. Do you want to sense Jesus in your life? You know where Jesus is going to meet you? Probably not on the beach. Probably not in the comfort. Probably not the massage chair. Where's Jesus going to meet you? As you toil. As you labor. You might have to go into that without having that sense like, wow, I got this all together. But Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in there. I'm going to help you in there. I'm going to empower you in there. Because I love you there. I've been there. I've suffered that. I've felt that. I'm going to meet you there. I want to give us hope today. Jesus is not sitting back waiting and watching. He's more like we called him this week the Mr. Miyagi of our lives, right? He's kind of right there inside with you, sometimes calling you to do things that you don't understand, and yet what's he working towards? You're good. If Jesus is calling you to invest in a place, a person, a life, please don't run away to go and try and find Jesus. Instead, turn to him in the middle of that, in your marriage. Guess what? That's where you're going to meet Jesus, even if your marriage is hurt and broken. Trying to share Jesus with somebody who, who's just belligerent about Jesus. Guess what? That's where Jesus is going to meet you. That's where you're going to feel Him. You're going to sense Him. You're going to know His power to sustain you. Parents, don't give up on that child. Jesus is going to meet you in that painful place through your sickness, through your financial difficulty. Jesus is going to meet you. His goal is not to make you happy by taking that necessarily away. His goal is to make us holy and more like Him.
So he's going to meet you there. And it's going to be precious. So I want us to understand, Jesus comes. He brings his presence. He brings his comfort. He brings his power to his suffering friends. So the last question I'll just ask is, why does Paul say all this? That's kind of the question that went through my head. As a pastor, maybe I get a little more on this side because you think, is he kind of defending his paycheck? This is what I'm doing. I'm working. I'm toiling. This is like his annual report. Look at everything I did this year. I promise I'm worth it. Keep me on. Is that what Paul's doing? Or is he saying, hey, I'm telling you this because I'm calling you to join me. The good life. The good life is meeting Jesus in the middle of his mission. That's the good life. Paul's calling the Colossians. He's calling us. Not to throw yourself neck deep in suffering, but just to move towards people. Suffering will find you. We don't need to make it our own. But I promise you, Jesus will also find you there. Father, help us, because I know that that's uncomfortable. Help us, because we know that this is what matters. So I want to pray and ask that you would help us. Um, help those that are, are suffering today. Help them to know that this isn't a technique that they need to develop in order to get to meet with you. Help them to know that it's something that you've already promised and they just need to be there. Lord, help us as a church to be willing to, to spend and be spent for other people's souls. And help us to know that there is real joy that can come in that spot. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Anything that's hard to do is impossible to do well without Jesus. And our